Hi, this is Sharice Kenyon, and you're listening to the Beauty Me podcast, all about beauty beyond the BS. Today's guest is truly iconic. Like, I mean, she she's the definition of iconic. Janine Lobel changed the face of beauty in 1994 when she launched a whimsical, instantly recognizable brand called Stila. And it wasn't just the products or what they did, it was the packaging. If you're someone who was around in the 90s, you will absolutely remember the Stila girl that would appear on the packaging. She was wispy, a little bit windswept, always doing cool girl things, traveling the world. Janine herself grew up in Stockholm, Sweden, and apparently the name Stila derived from the Swedish word still, meaning style. She moved to London as a teenager, and that was where she discovered makeup as a career, getting fired from the Chanel counter along the way, as you do. Next, she moved to LA and began working in makeup on films like Drugstore Cowboy, as well as a whole array of music videos. She still works as a makeup artist today, and... Honestly, her portfolio is prolific. I'm definitely going to be sharing so many images with you. And she also has a new brand called Neen, which I believe is also her nickname. Annoyingly, we don't really get all the way into Neen. Just know that it exists and it's coming to the UK. And it's just because we chatted so much. But one thing I love is that if you go to the brand's website, their tagline is makeup you can't fuck up. And that's definitely all Janine. I think makeup has changed so much over the years and I think it's very refreshing that Janine has kept evolving during that time. I think she's realized that while many of us love to play and create with makeup, there are just as many of us that just want to throw something on without feeling that it has to be perfect. In this episode, I asked Janine to take us all the way back to her early beauty memories And I ask her to take us back to the 90s. I want to know what did it take to build a beauty brand back then? Was it easier, more difficult compared to today? And I do try to find out how much she sold Stila for to Estee Lauder in 1999. I do try. She shares some amazing stories along the way, lessons she's learned about her own management style how she's found peace in meditation. The stories are endless. I know you're going to either laugh a lot to this one or be inspired by these stories. And I also think you're going to be inspired by Janine's just really chill demeanor. Oh, and by the way, during this conversation, my backdrop falls down. So you will hear a little bit of movement and laughter there. But yeah, I think you're going to love this one. Janine, we're really going to get into all your history, what you mean to the beauty industry, but I still want to know a bit more about you right now. Um, And I really want to know Mm -hmm. what your morning routine is, like from the minute you open your eyes, everything. You know, I used to be like the, the, my best ideas came at midnight person. And now I like go to bed at like 1030 and get up at six, uh, because that's when my brain is the most high functioning. I really have to stop myself in the morning because I can just like immediately go into work mode, right? Like what are the emails? What's going on? You know, what do I got to do? And I just really try. Um, I actually even have this notepad where you like write down all the stuff you're supposed to, because I'll forget like my self care is so bad 
you know, I'll be like, oh, I forgot to take my vitamins. I forgot to do this. So I literally have to like write it down because I think so many years of taking care of other people, I sort of forgot to take care of myself. So I try to get up and um, just feed my dog, make coffee. I try to meditate. Um, Meditation really helps me with sort of intrusive thoughts or, you know, my brain running too quickly. I take a bunch of vitamins and shit like that, you know, all the, you know, good gut support, all these things. Um, If I'm really on the case, I'll try to use like, I'll just, you know, sit and try to use one of those like a new face or, you know, just trying to stole a wave or one of those devices I acquired along the way. Um, and then I have coffee and, um, I don't really deal with like my appearance for a good couple hours. You know, we work actually, uh, my office is in my apartment. So everybody rolls in at 10. So, uh, I have until like nine forty. <laughs> uh, um, but I like to, and you know, as far as like beauty stuff, you know, I, you know, obviously I take a shower, but like. I'm really into like, I put on face oil. The only makeup I really wear uh, at home is like mascara and, you know, put on a lip and a little cream blush. But often I have to do, you know, I'm doing, trying to do more and more um, videos and stuff, you know, for the brand. So I don't bother putting on makeup because I'm going to have to go do that. And I actually don't wear uh, for myself uh, foundation ever. I just never got into it for myself. Although, which is funny because in my makeup artistry, I always had the kind of reputation of doing great skin, you know? So it was Mm -hmm. like, just Mm -hmm. do that skin you do, Janine, you know? And it's like, meanwhile, I don't do shit to myself. Um, (laughs) And then, of course, you know, I have to do all of our um, social media stuff. So, like, for the brand. So I go through all the Instagram, repost, comments, all that. Like, I'm a forced social media person. (laughs) It's just not innate for me. I never really got that into it for myself, but I'm also really lucky because I have a really healthy mindset, you know, maybe that's from meditating and all this reading and stuff that I do, but I'm just so detached to it. Like it does. Oh, we only got four likes. Like I don't even care, you know? So I'm, I'm lucky, <laughs> That's healthy. which is that's probably why it's probably why I can handle it. So that's, that's pretty much, and I don't eat till like 11. I can never eat in the morning. So, and then my daughter's like, they're like, uh, I get these ding, you know, the text, like, uh, I'd like coffee, one sugar with milk, please in bed. So <laughs> what, what, I, what ages are they? <laughs> oh my God. There's so many of them. One's 21, <laughs> one's 22, one's. 26 my son is 29 he's actually in london and then i have an extra daughter who i think she's 31 now but the, uh, so the the youngest they can all is make home coffee. and the other one's home <laughs> yeah but she's home from college so it's part of my like spoiling her Aww. and she cooks for me every night so it's a fair exchange i love that well i wish you could teach me about meditation that's a whole other thing for me i i feel like it could add value to my life but like you said about intrusive thoughts, I think I need to get in the space to be able to meditate. You know, honestly, I can send you some stuff. If you just do, so I did TM years ago, which is about clearing your mind. And now I do a different type of meditation. 
Yeah. Is that transcendental you, meditation? They give you this like secret word, you know, and, and you're supposed to just repeat the word in your head. Whereas the kind of meditation oh. that I do now is more about noticing your thoughts, right? So this yes. thought comes in and you just notice it. And, and for me, that works much better. Um, I don't need to clear my mind. I just need to get to know my mind, you know? So it's a way to kind of learn, you know, what you're thinking and what the stories are that you tell yourself. And literally, if you do three minutes, just do three minutes, you know, mm. I'm going to send you a couple three minute ones to see if you, yeah, it's, it's a total game changer. Like this whole thing of like not thinking does not work for me. I think way too much, but just like becoming aware of how I think and being like, huh, can't believe that before it spirals. Right. Like, you know, you'll have one mm. thought and then another thought and then they start like spinning and then next thing, you know, you're anxious or Yes. fearful or whatever. And this just, just the way, like I notice that thought and then I insert another thought before that mm -hmm. next one comes. It's, it's kind of trippy. It's actually really helpful, but three minutes is plenty. You don't need to sit on a cushion for like an hour and a half. <laughs> just, um, before we get into all, <laughs> before we get into all the other stuff, I'm actually quite intrigued because you know, you are someone that's built a huge business, you have a new business, you've been a makeup artist for many years and, you know, you've got your family from outside appearances, you know, people be like, she's got, you know, you've got it good. Oh, I know that. But yeah, I just want to know what kind of intrusive thoughts does somebody like you have? Do you know what I mean? If you don't mind me being nosy, like what is it? Yeah. I what mean, is it I'm... that bothers you? Um, You know, it's really, this is, might be a little long winded, but like I've really uh, kind of moved past a lot of those things in my life. Like for me, maybe it's about worrying about my kids or um, like getting into a panic about running a business again. Or, um, you know, in my 20s, you know, I kind of did this, you know, I came into my 20s really fucked up, you know, to be honest. And I always had like, I had so much kind of self-loathing and all my thoughts were, uh, and I just sort of did this on my own, right? Like, so mm -hmm. I would be like, you know, my brain would tell me how horrible I was or how stupid I was or whatever. And my thought in my twenties, and I did this for seven years and completely changed how I was thinking. It shouldn't take that long, but that's the sort of timeline for me. And I would just insert the thought. No, that's not true. And just that simple thought, no, that's not true, uh, really helped me create the space for myself to get better, so to speak. So today, you know, it's it's much more about other people worrying about other people, <laughs> you know, kids or even with the business. Like some days I'll wake up and I'm like, panicked i'm like what am i doing like this is so insane you know um and just being like what is it right now where am i right now i'm here i'm wearing this black and red shirt like i'm here i'm here you know and, and just getting into the moment uh because all those things are always future tripping right so yeah you know things like that mainly um but i'm much better than i was when i i mean your 20s i'm sorry but they are harsh Harsh, harsh, harsh. <laughs> yes. No, I love that. I just wanted to be nosy a little bit there, but um No, just you ask to... me anything. Oh, I love that. I will. 
But I really, really, really want to go back before Stila, before you became this <laughs> brand that everybody dreams of, you know, selling to Estee Lauder, that, that, that level. I want to talk about when you were growing up, can you remember the first time you clicked that beauty was a thing? Like, who was it? What was it? It's funny because I had like, I had a very glamorous mom. Um, my mom had been a model in the fifties in New York or something like that. And she was like, really like crazy good looking. Right. Um, and I, I, my first memory of beauty, she had like this, you know, those vanities with the three candles and, and she had this little thing where her little wiglet, you know, the one she created her bump with sat on. And, uh, and I remember watching her get ready to go out and always kind of being a bit mesmerized by that. But the, when I really started to think of beauty as a, a profession was actually when I lived in London and I think I was like, uh, 18, 19. And my best friend, this is kind of, I'll tell you a story now, who had been my best friend since I was like 17 in high school there, whatever, you know, a couple of years. Uh, and she was actually Guy Ritchie's big sister. So we grew up with like little Guy Ritchie. Running around. <laughs> little Guy Ritchie. <laughs> we, and, and, you know, and we'd be like, get off, get out of here. You know, I beat it. <laughs> If you're wondering who little Guy Ritchie grew up to be, yes, he's the English film director known for one of my favourite films, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. And he was also married to Madonna for a time. And she went to makeup school in London. And I was like, wait, what? What? what's that? Like, that's a job you can have? And so I went to makeup school for six months uh, in London. And it was a, actually, I don't know if it's still around, but it was a great school because all the teachers were... Um, they were working makeup artists. You'd be like, where's whoever, you know, Ellen. And they'd be like, oh, she's doing a video today. So they were really super current and they were all young and fun. And, and I feel like we really learned how to do makeup there. And that was when I became aware that, uh, you know, I'd gone to college. I'd lasted three weeks or university as you call it. And, you know, I just couldn't do that kind of traditional sort of life route. Um, so I was like, okay, well, I need to know how to do something. And this seems like a viable option. So that's. Wow. Just like that. <laughs> just like that. So I've you, always been it, good to it. Like figuring it out, you know, like what figuring it out. But where does that come from then? Cause that's a pretty chilled approach to have to your future. You um, didn't have the kind of parents that are like, you need to decide and. You must find no, a plan. You know, it's interesting it? because my dad, I, I, I like to tell this story because it, it, you know, it's an interesting thing for, you know, my dad went to like Columbia and, you know, he's educated and was a, like a businessman, whatever. And uh, I remember I had like some job at some boutique in Soho at one point when I was trying to go to college and I got fired because uh, I was always out every night. And uh, and we're on the street in New York, and he says to me, honey, see that guy over there with the hot dog stand? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, nobody's standing there telling him, you know, spread the mustard like this for maximum productivity, this much relish for cost savings. But, you know, he's giving all these examples, and he just looks at me and goes, 
sweetheart, you need your own hot dog stand. And it was his way of saying that, you know, I just wasn't necessarily a person, that it was okay that I wasn't a person that could, instead of going, you can't even keep a job at a lousy boutique, you know, like it wasn't, <laughs> you know what I mean? Which, yeah. and, and, and I would have to say in my entire life, that is the moment that I feel uh, was a moment when my dad actually did see me, you know, and, and helped oh. me, you know? Um, and so I just knew that like, whatever I did would have to be a little different or I would just feel like a failure all the time. You mentioned getting fired there, but I think I also read that you got fired from Chanel. I did. That was a few <laughs> years later. I got a, <laughs> I worked at a makeup counter and I ref and I used to sell more makeup than anybody because I was good at putting makeup. I'd gone to that school, right? So I made everybody look amazing. But the department store manager, she didn't, you know, I always had that little bit of like, I don't care if you like me thing, right? Not that I was <laughs> rude or unpleasant or no, no, no. awful. I just wasn't invested in how you felt about me, right? So I uh, would, I refused to wear pantyhose. So I got fired. <laughs> it happens I, I don't blame you oh my gosh having to wear tights for what I know it's just like such a you know I, but I think it was much more about me not like um just being like okay you know I'm here on time I sell more makeup than I what's your problem kind of thing you know? <laughs> did you see this just fall down <laughs> oh my, my god little make, my little makeshift backdrop just fell down <laughs> Um, so you definitely seem like someone that, yeah, you kind of like found your own way. How did you mm -hmm. find your way from that makeup school to building a brand that became iconic for its, its packaging? I mean, when I mentioned you earlier on today, when I was doing a live on TikTok, someone was like, the illustrations, the Steeler girl, we're going to get into all of that, but I just want to know, mm -hmm. how did you go from makeup school to even start in your own brand? Well, I know it's nuts, right? In the nineties, by the way. <laughs> I know it was crazy. I think about that all the time. Like we, I, so I worked at makeup counters, made my way to LA through different makeup brands and, you know, uh, working for them and freelancing and all that stuff. And then I started working on music videos. Uh, I did a lot of music, iconic music videos. Like, uh, oh, tell me, which I oh my god, you're going to scream. Okay, Wilson Phillips. You know, I know this pain. You did, did that one. That I did that one. I did <laughs> Naomi for the Michael Jackson in the closet video. No, you didn't. Oh my god, I did. I did. She was the. I love that woman to this day. I mean, she's amazing. Incredible, incredible and an amazing person. video like Naomi dancing the way it was shot it was her Brits wasn't it it was her Brits I, and I was hired iconic I'm spilling the tea here hard today please but, do uh, I I was hired to do the dancers I was super junior and the artist who's no longer with us who was hired to do Naomi did not get along with her. So like we're in the middle of the desert and you could just see his car on the horizon. He just left. He was like, I'm out. Fuck this shit. And, um, and so then they put me in with Naomi cause we we're in the middle of nowhere. So, and she and I got along, you know, like we just, we got along. 
And uh, actually after that, like a few weeks after we went to some of us uh, friends went to New York, right. To hang out, you know, and um, she gave us tickets to come see her in the Isaac Mizrahi show. It was the first time I ever saw a big fashion. She's cool. That's all I'm going to say. She's the coolest. Um, anyway, so I did a lot of videos um, and, you know, I, I, you know, I, I hear a lot of people talk about being a makeup artist and like, you know, I don't want to work for free. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And I totally get that. Like, it's hard to be the, the favor chick or the freebie chick or whatever. But I looked at every job, like every video I walked in, I would be like, okay, there's a producer here who's going to produce something, some other video. There's an artist here who's going to do press and an album cover. There's a production manager who's going to work for a producer who can't get their regular person. There's a stylist here and a hair person here. There's five pe- five opportunities for another job, which I will not get if I'm home on my couch thinking about how much more money I want to make. So that was just me back then, right? That was my attitude. So I, I grew pretty quickly. And then I had a friend who asked me, uh, she wanted to do a makeup line. She had nothing to do with uh, beauty. Um she was opening a boutique and I mean, it's such a crazy story. And she had bought this like fancy kind of chateau French mirror. She goes, I think it'd be really cute to have a makeup line for the mirror. And I was like, all right. And, uh, and that's how it all started. And she had sort of looked into like what's called private label, you know, which is like, you go to the factory, no shade, but you go, you I want that, 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 and you put your name on it. And I was like, I'm not doing that. So I, found this woman who had a lab um, in uh, Chatsworth is kind of, I don't know what you would compare it to in England, like a more industrial part outside of London, maybe. And she took a shining to us and she's like, I'll make it for you in my lab. Like there's not enough quantities here to do the big kettles, but we'll do it in the lab. So we did that. And then it was like time for packaging. Right. And it was like, well, I don't, same thing. I don't want to buy that off the shelf, fake Mac two-parter and stamp my name on there. Right. So I said, well, what can I make in low quantities? And, and, and you know, I hate all this plastic crap. You know, I couldn't really articulate then what I was doing. It was just innate to me, right? Like mm. be more environmentally friendly if you can and be inclusive if you can. But like back then, just, like 94. Back then, yeah, and it wasn't like a no, that was 97, 98. Okay. No, 94, you're right. I always have to gauge it off of my kids' birthdays. 94. <laughs> but it wasn't like, hey, here's the plan, guys. Let's do eco more eco-friendly packaging and let's be super inclusive. Like it wasn't like that. It just was, you know, when you come from who you are, when you're doing something, you know, it comes out right. Unless mm-hmm. who you are is, you know, <laughs> negative. But it works out for those people too, apparently. <laughs> Janine, I'm going to, because you've paused there, I'm just going to take this opportunity to take you back very quickly because I am a journalist and you've got my mind going round and round because you mentioned Naomi Campbell and you mentioned this makeup artist that's no longer with us that fled the scene. Are you going to share with us who that is? Because I'm guessing. Oh yeah, right you, now. you would. No, it's not Kevin. It was George, this man named George Newell. 
Okay. Kevin was actually, yeah, no, Kevin would never. Okay. I mean, Kevin was. That's what I was my thinking. Friend. No, 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 no. I, I no. His name was. I had George to ask because you know was, somebody, somebody would be listening, and be like, "Why didn't you ask? Was she talking about Kevin? Because obviously, no, Kevin was Kevin's Kevin. Kevin was amazing. I met Kevin. I'll tell mm. you. Do you want to hear my Kevin story? Yes, please. Yes, I want all the stories. So, okay, so I was married originally to this English guy and he was a like a set designer for music videos and I went to visit him on set because it was Liza Minnelli they were doing a video for Liza and Kevin was doing the makeup so you know I'm like 22 or whatever and you know I have I hadn't even barely started I was still working in stores at that point and I, I I come and I'm like hi you know, and he's like hung out with me all day, completely showed me all his gear. He had these books of all his Polaroids in his calendar, like each shoot. He had like Polaroids taped in there of what he had done that day, hung out with me for hours, stayed in touch with me. Uh, I would visit him backstage at shows sometimes uh, in, in um, New York. And when I... Did, and he'd recommend me to people later and on. And he, uh, you know, would sort of talk about Stila products for me. And um, he was, um, you know, Kevin, uh, you know, to fully tell you the whole. So my son grew up wearing dresses. He always wore dresses. And at that point in the 90s, that was unusual. Uh, even in L.A., I took a lot of shit for that. And. He, having grown up gay in the South and the way he did, he just had such a soft spot. Like he, people, I would meet people and they're like, oh, Kevin told me all about you and how great you are with your son and shit like that, right? So we kind of had this funny, you know, it was beyond like, I want to be, you know, like he respected me for this thing I was doing in my personal life. And I, of course, you know, admired him like there was no tomorrow. So actually after he passed, you know, I was... I took on Kevin Aquan. I worked there for a year. Uh, I was, the, I yeah, I got them into Bergdorf's and Space NK and kind of brought back his, some of his old formulas that they'd gotten rid of and fixed things and created the two pans and a bunch of stuff. And, and subsequently they, they were acquired. So that was kind of really uh, an honor for me to uh, kind of be a part of, uh, ensuring his legacy. Speaking of Tina Turner, right? He loved Tina. Yeah, that's the thing. That's why he's been in my head today, you know, mm-hmm. just the work he did with her. But I found it really interesting when you said that he was so willing to show you his Polaroids. And because I feel like, was that a common thing? It feels like that wouldn't be a common thing for somebody to be showing you their work and how they do things and being so open. Yeah, I, I don't really know. You know, everybody comes from a different place. And and, and it wasn't mm. like he was showing off, right? It wasn't like, I'm so fabulous, right? He was, you know, he was good. You know, Kevin knew he was Kevin. And so he had the space, right? Or could give the space to somebody more junior or whatever. I mean, you talk to Troy Surratt, you talk to anyone who worked with Kevin, they have nothing but love for him. Orlando Pita, everybody. So... I think that, um, you know, it's hard. 
there are many different kinds of people, right? So there are people who have nothing and will give you half of their nothing. There are people who have everything and won't even give you 0.001% of what they have, right? So everybody's coming from a different place. And, but the people that can give you half of nothing or half of 50 or whatever, like that is always the better way to be, right? Mm -hmm. And it takes a certain kind of person that's not riddled with fear or insecurities, I think. Uh, I always say to people, I'd rather deal with an egomaniac than a super insecure person. Because a super insecure person, if they're hiding it, right, they will never, they will always assign you their shit, right? So mm. what I mean by that is like, so they're insecure and they're jealous of you, right? So in, instead of being like, Oh God, I'm so jealous. I can't believe it's her. She did 200 podcasts. She's so cool. And she just grabbed the bull by the horns. They'll be like, yeah, I don't know about that podcast she does. Right. <laughs> Cause it's their shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They can't own it. And so they make it about you. Right. So you're dealing with all of that mess. So anyway, those are my little mind no. thoughts there. But <laughs> so Kevin really, yeah, he had the space. I love that. For sure. He's got the space, so he's free to give it. You know, I get that. So, sorry, listeners, I had to do that little segue. We'll let, we're going to get back to the story of Steeler. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to get back to the packaging. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't like you packaging. were. I just find it interesting that in the nineties, you were. Th- so you weren't thinking, let's be more eco-conscious, but you didn't like plastic. Was it like you just didn't want to? Be like anybody else you didn't like plastic or you did want to be i i, I wanted to be original and 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 uh of course we did use plastic in our lip glosses and a few things but when i could you know our powder came in an aluminum shaker our foundation came in an aluminum tube the lipsticks and the shadows were paper and it was just like i found this paper tube manufacturer who helped me I was like, does your wife wear lipstick? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, you know the thing you t- she twists up, takes the cap off. Can you make that out of paper? He's like, yeah. And so off we went. And then <laughs> all of a sudden I realized, oh, my God, I can use different color paper. So, like, all our collections, like, we did pastels. So each pastel came in a pastel paper. Um, it, it, it really wasn't like this is our marketing position of our brand. Like it just wasn't that thought out. It was just what happened, you know? And then we did crazy shit. Like, I don't know if you remember, but we had quotes from women in the lids. So when you opened like a fortune cookie, right? So when you took off your eyeshadow cap, there was a woman's quote and some were funny and some were deep. And uh, my favorite was, um, I cannot ride on horseback nor lead men to battle, which is a Joan of art quote so it was a way of saying you can do anything without being like super cheesy about it (laughs) you know like (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. and 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 we we'd have to find like sort of public domain quotes that would mean they'd have to be like deceased for like 50 years or 60 and we'd find these quotes we'd yell across the office is she dead enough you know (laughs) yeah because you don't want to be taken to court sure, yeah. <laughs> but does, where did okay, you great. let's use it <laughs> what made you create because your imagery is so different 
like even now, I don't think anyone's ever really done it the same way. The illustrations of this Steeler girl, you know, hair flowing and so whimsical. And was that another kind of money saving thing rather than using models? Or was it because, like, where did the idea for the illustrations come from? You know, it was a little bit of both. Um, You know, no photographer, no makeup artist, no hairdresser, no stylist, no model, right? But really, I was like, it was really about that, you know, I'm not stupid and I don't think you're stupid. And I don't think that you think if you, you know, you have to remember this is before social media, right? So, and reviews and all this stuff, it was like advertising photos at the makeup counter and that was it. Right. So I felt like you're not stupid. You're not going to think that if you use this mascara, you're going to look like Kate Moss all of a sudden. Like, it's just not reality. And it's always like these kind of, I don't know. It's like looking outside yourself for how you should look thing, which is fine when it's fun. It's when it makes you feel crappy that it's not so great. And I think that the Stila girls were a way. So the Stila girls were really like, the the feeling of the product versus the performance, right? Like, cause of course they didn't have makeup on their faces. It was just more like this, this, like when we did the twisty pen, like we did like girls saluting and it was like start a lip revolution, meaning it twists or, you know, it was always very tongue in cheek cheek. And it was really about how we hoped it would make you feel, you know? And, and also, you know, we always used, uh, what in appearance, you know, a white girl in appearance, a black girl in appearance, an Asian girl, you know, and then uh, my only regret is that I had made some more size inclusive illustrations back then. But, you know, it just wasn't to me, they were just cartoons. So hopefully that it, you know, make it was just a feeling. And, you know, but it, now today, that's what I would do differently, I would say. Well, that's the thing. Not that they were like scary skinny, but they were like, you know, I mean, they had, but they were like the dreamy. Yes. The long legs, the flowy hair. And it's, I just think it's very evocative of that time, but it's so interesting to me because you mentioned, you know, social media just there. And that was one of my questions because today brands lean so heavily on influencers more, I don't even know what their budgets are. You know, look at the tart trip to Formula One in Miami. You know, that's a whole other story with all the mess there, but <laughs> so much money. And you did not have all of these influences. And a minute ago, you said mm-hmm. it wasn't, you don't think people are stupid because they're not going to look at a picture and think, oh, I'm going to have those lashes. But that's kind of what brands are doing today. They're kind of making women feel like, well, if you buy this mascara that ex-influencer uses, you could look like her, kind of. It's turned on its head. Except the difference is, to me, a little bit like watching somebody who's not a supermodel uh, apply it. uh, And, and you you know, unless they're faking it, we don't need to get into that story. But... um, you do get a more sense, a, di- a direct experience of what the product is. Yeah. I, I mean, f- 
for me, the, the worst are the foundation ones where there's so much light and you're like, I know that foundation, that shit does not look like that. You know, like, you know, and that's when I don't that, but it's become a little bit, I know that they're spending all this money still, but people, the actual people seem to be more interested in people like you, you know, or people, you know, the micro whatever, um, because it feels more, uh, you know, it's obvious that they're getting paid and, and I don't begrudge them that, you know, but, but make, if you're going to show it really show what it is, because, you know, somebody's going to spend $42 and be like, what the fuck, you know, like, I don't look like that. So (laughs) it's definitely going on, but I, I do love the, uh, aspect of there's a lot of people just people doing their makeup showing you what they like and you know i get it you want to put on the light you want to look i mean when i film myself i i got that light going too but i'm not teaching you about foundation if i was teaching about foundation and contour i would show you what it really looked like so but that's me when that's but that's the thing that's you and you're the person that made Steeler Steeler. so let's go back to that and um what were, can you think of, I want to talk about high points and low points. So tell me about what was the toughest time for you developing Steeler? Oh, gosh. Um, was I it think tough? Uh, it kind of sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> you know, it, what, I mean, we had gone to one lab initially, waited six months for them to make stuff for us, and they totally blew us off, right? And we were like, wait, what? And then, the receptionist at that lab, which was a huge lab, uh, sent me to the woman I was telling you about earlier who made everything for me. So that that was rough, but finding her, you know, it was like a blessing that came out of a bad thing, right? You know, it was tough for me to learn. Um, it was more internal, like here I am, you know, I don't know shit, right? And I got all these people working for me. I go to my warehouse and I'm like, I have a forklift, you know, and, and there were like things, you know, it was interesting. Like my, I had an assistant who, uh, you know, and I, and it, I was always, <laughs> I was always hiring like girls from Silver Lake covered in tattoos straight out of rehab who needed a job. You know, and sometimes I worked out and sometimes it didn't, you know, anyway, so my assistant who I'm not sure even what her initial job was there. She became my assistant. And one day she said to me, Janine, you never tell people when they've done something well. And I was like, wait, what? She goes, no, you don't. And I was like, going back to like getting to know your own brain. And what I realized was that I was a person who could look at myself, whether it's in my own head or out loud or internally and say, wow, you really killed that. That was cool what you did. And I, I can also say, God, you really fucked that one up, you know, and, and, and meet both of those situations with yeah. neutrality for myself. Right. And so I didn't realize that other people needed that looks amazing. Oh, my God, that looks so good. Like, I, I didn't realize that. Like, I literally didn't know that that was something when you manage people or whatever that you have to do. So moments like a lot of those, and so of course I started doing that, obviously, but it was just, 
they taught me too, right? You know, but it, it was a lot of responsibility for me to uh, have this big business, you know, it was a trip. And, you know, there were tough moments like when we, we were one of the first brands to launch in Sephora, like the Saks buyers had gone to start uh, Sephora and, you know, everybody was like furious with us. Like Saks was livid. Everybody's pissed that we were going into Sephora, but we were like, no, really? this is the way, this is the future. And so we were one of the first Sephora, you know, indie brands. And I mean, we had amazing, we had, a, we were distributed by Shiseido in Japan, you know, and, and they did an incredible, that was a real highlight. Like I'd go to Japan and like, I remember going and like, this is like a 10 story department store that has like a banner with my photo. And like, I'm in the store and I'm wearing like a headpiece, like I'm Lieutenant Yuhura, you know, <laughs> and girls are crying. They're crying and lining up and asking me to sign their palettes and all this stuff. And, um, and I'm walking around and I'm saying to everybody, I need to go home and do laundry or I'm going to be a fucking monster. <laughs> like I get how people get like, you know, they're all over. And actually a highlight for me was they all told me in Japan that we had changed the way Japanese women wore their makeup. We had introduced shimmer and cream blush, which was the, you know, it was always that matte paler face thing and that we had changed that for women. So that was a total highlight for me, for sure. What was the moment when you were like, like inside you said to yourself, okay, it, this is really big. What was the one thing? Yeah, that I think it was the that? forklift. <laughs> forklift really? really up. <laughs> no celebrity or anything like that, a forklift. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's crazy. You know, I'm doing Stila, and at the same time, somehow I had sort of become in makeup because you know, at this point, I'm still living in LA. You know, there used to be a real thing about New York and LA makeup artists. So, like New York magazines and photographers, they didn't want to work with LA. It's like she's an LA person, she's a celeb person, whatever, whatever. It's totally changed, thank goodness. And I sort of became you know, one of the two people in LA that magazines would work with. Right. So, you know, you know, I had Annie Leibovitz, I had Elle magazine. I used to do all their covers, those giant vanity fair covers, a lot of things. So, you know, I'm doing this, I got little kids and I'm doing Stila. Uh, you know, it was a lot, it was a lot. And, you know, I hate all this, like, you can have it all crap. Like it just, it, 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 it just, because 80% of people will feel like they failed, right? And, and you know, and the other will be like, and I'm not complaining at all, but I always felt like I was letting somebody down, you know? There was always Because you, somebody, had to, you couldn't, yeah, if you're doing this for this I, one, then this one's going to lose out. Yeah, so it was either the business, right? To say no to this job for the agent, or I had to say no to the husband for something, or I had to say, you know, it was always, ugh. You know, and again, I'm not complaining. It's just how it was, you know. And so I felt that like all these people making their, and I was close with everybody, you know, everybody in our warehouse, everybody, I knew everybody uh, in the field, whatever, pretty much that got a little less and less, but the artists I certainly knew. And it just started to feel like I need a grown up in the room. 
Like I need a real, like I can fake it, but I need a real grown up in the room, you know? And so that's why I chose to sell, you know, um, which is kind of a funny story. But okay. So set the scene for us. Because I feel like in, in the past, I always feel like Estee Lauder is the moment for many a brand. It's like, I remember certain brands would be like, we would never sell. And then five years later or 10 years later, they've sold. So like set the scene for us. Like how did it even first begin? Who's, who spoke to who? Did they take you for dinner? Like, (laughs) uh, this happened so fast. So we had been negotiating with another buyer uh, that I decided that I didn't care for. Um, And so I had, it's been going on for like nine months. Like we'd get here and then all of a sudden we were there again. Uh, And I I finally told everybody that was involved in that. I was like, I don't want to do it. Like I can't, I I just don't feel good. I doesn't feel right. So we uh, kind of, they were pretty upset with us that we just sort of walked away from that. And then Leonard Lauder had called us a couple of times and you know, when you negotiate, you sign these, like, I won't talk to anybody else because I'm negotiating with you kind of things. And that had expired with the first one. And they didn't realize it had expired. Uh, they hadn't re- gotten us to resign it. But anyway, we sort of dumped them anyway. And, uh, and I said, like, when am I going to meet Leonard Lauder? Like, I want to meet Leonard Lauder. That would be so cool. Leonard Lauder, along with his brother Ronald, is the sole heir to the Estee Lauder Company's fortune founded by his parents, Estee and Joseph. So he was in L.A. and he was staying at, I think it was like the Bel Air Hotel or something like that. And so, you know, we went to meet him. I think it was like a literally a Thursday. And, you know, <clears throat> they got he's got the room with the terrace and uh like a garden situation and they got food for us and it's him and the guy who does his like acquisitions and a couple other people. And I'm such a idiot. Like I, so I'm like, I'm like smoking. Like you don't smoke around <laughs> a cigarette. Mr. Lauder. A cigarette. Yeah. I'm a, yeah. Just a cigarette out in the terrace. Cause I'm nervous. Right. And he's asking me questions like, okay, so how do you come up with your price point? like your cost of good convert, whatever it's all called. And I go, how do I come up with my, well, I sit around with my girlfriend and I, and I hold it up and I pass it around and I say, what the fuck would you pay for it? <laughs> and he was like, I'm dead. Like he couldn't believe that that was how we did things. And any, in any case, the story goes, cause I wasn't there that Leonard left that meeting and uh, or his guy actually told me uh, that he said, I don't care what she wants. Give it to her. Uh, and by Monday oh or Tuesday, God. we had a deal. Yeah, it was oh kind of nuts. Have you ever told and, anybody and, what you asked for? Uh, is, it, is, it, is it public knowledge? No. I mean, I don't know if it's still, uh, um, you know, I signed a thing. I don't know if okay. that's a lifetime thing or so what. So you can't say, so, oh. <gasps> oh, my god! But it was but more say, than it was worth. Really? You you feel that? Yeah, because it's like, oh, it was definitely more at the time. I mean, if you go to like, it's like somebody comes and says, I want to buy your house. And you're like, yeah, I don't, I'm not ready to sell my house yet. 
And they're like, no, I really want your house. All right, you can have my house if you give me X amount. Ha, ha, right. ha. And then they gave it to you. It was one of those moments. Okay, so we were, So you're not going to tell me the figure, but let's say, so it happens, it mm. goes the bank account. What's the first thing you go and do? Like, what was your impulse to do? Did you go and buy loads of stuff or did you just chill? Um, I bought a couple people that I know who needed cars. I bought them cars. Oh, I uh, rented a boat for two weeks for all my friends on a boat. And I gave everybody who worked for me money. So every single person in our warehouse, everyone who was a Stila employee, we had like a formula of like they've been here X amount of time and they make X dollars. And, you know, that could that ranged from 10,000 to 250,000, right? For some people. And uh, oh, goodness. because I felt that, I mean, I had got letters from people like, I bought a house. I brought my mom from Guatemala. I can help my sister now. Like it was crazy. And um, I, I did it for two reasons. One, they did it too. You know, they did it with me. And two, I didn't want to be that person that everybody said, well, she made out like a bandit and we got fucked, you know? And, and I just, I wasn't going to be her period. Cause I didn't know what was going to happen next. Right. So I just wasn't going to be that person and I didn't have to do any of that, but that was what I chose to do. So I didn't buy loads of stuff, but I, I, I you know, I took it that killer trip and uh, yeah, it was fun. I, oh no, I bought myself this really swanky helmet lang coat, which I would never have bought myself. So there you go. <laughs> So what happened after that? Like, was it a case of you walking away, like letting them no, take over? No, I, I had I... to stay there. No, you know, it, 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 it's never good. You know, getting, uh, you can ask anyone. You get, yeah. and it's not their fault, you know. It's just never good. You know, it's just not a good fit. An original founder with a corporation is never, ever. I learned a lot uh, from that. But over time, I felt like I became, I used to say to Leonard, you know, because he was so team Janine, I'd be like, it's really not fun being teacher's pet around here. Because the minute you leave the room, shit falls apart, you know, like it, it really was like that. And I felt like I became the person people were trying to work around or, you know, like they would do weird shit behind my back all the time. And then I, I sort of found myself in this position of trying to protect people all the time or their jobs or our vision. And they really, and they admit it, they totally screwed the whole thing up. I mean, they're pretty upfront about that. So after. Is that because I they had a seven, different, sorry to cut you. Is, um, is that because they had a different no, no, idea no, for I, the I, brand or. Well, their idea is always to like make money like fast. Right. So they, you know, so here we are in like cool stores like Fred Siegel, Barney's, Sephora. And then they're trying to put us in these massive chain stores where we just department stores, more low end, which is fine. But we weren't ready for that. We didn't belong there. And I kept fighting that. And, you know, and then you're like the crazy creative all of a sudden, right? Like you're no longer, you know, yeah. and, and, and at the time, 
you know, Lauder was, it was all dudes, man. They were all a bunch of dudes running the show. I don't know if there was one woman at that time, you know, uh, and everybody was white, obviously at that time, you know, it just, they're just, the consciousness was not there. Uh, and I, I, I think that they really are, I don't know. I'm assuming they're trying to change all that. I sure hope so. You know, uh, there's more women, hopefully. I don't, I don't know anymore with anybody, you know, like, um, I don't really pay attention to what other people do in that way anyway, you know, but, um, mm. yeah, so it was tough. It was definitely tough. Um, but also the thing people are like, Oh, that was your baby. And I'm like, no, that wasn't my, like I have babies, you know, like I, I was not that attached. Like, once I did that move of taking care of everybody, it sort of honestly relieved me of the burden of uh, feeling horrible. But, I, you know, it was exhausting, honestly. It was time. It was definitely time. So that was in 1999, I think, when you five years after so you sold it. Yeah, I guess we sold it 99 or 2000, somewhere yeah. in there. So then I stayed on, so I guess, till like, 2007 or 2008, somewhere around there. And what, just fill us in, because obviously we're going to talk about, even though that was tough, you did go ahead and start a new brand, which we're going to get into, but <laughs> what happened between 2007 and um, when you decided to launch well, I Neen? Kept mer- I, you know, I, I'd moved to New York. I was working, you know, I'd done a lot of, done a lot of great jobs as a makeup artist, you know, whether it's, you know, Vogue covers, W covers. I worked with Nazem Vinod for years. I did, you know, Kate Blanchett both times she won the Oscars, you know. You know, I did all that stuff and I kept doing all that stuff and um, and raising my kids, you know. So now I only had like a couple things to <laughs> be beholden to <laughs> instead of, you know. And then I, I think it, I don't know if it was 2014 or somewhere around there, the Kevin Aquan thing came up and I went in there for a year and change. And um, yeah. And then I started thinking, and then I mentored people along the way and, you know, help people do stuff, whatever. Um, and then I guess before quarantine year before, even before COVID, I started thinking about wanting to do something. And then of course, you know, we're all sitting home trying not to go batshit crazy. And so, you know, I did what I could in that time, you know, with factories closed and people not working oh, and gosh. yeah. But what was the you know, drive? Was. What was the drive for you to create a brand again? Um, you know, I've thought of many, I like, I could give you like 10 ideas for brands and stuff. They're probably pretty decent tomorrow, you know, um, cause I can really see like what's missing or, you know, you know what I mean? Like I, I, yeah. I see where there's opportunity or whatever the hell you want to call it, you know? Um, but I, you know, I have all these kids, right. That are growing up and, uh, I was like, I need to go back. You know, I need to do this again. I need to really, um, I, I think I'm lucky that I'm like a person, like if you go back to the illustrations and, you know, the recycle, well, the paper packaging and all this, like, those are my values innately, right? Like I, I feel bad for like all these other companies that now all of a sudden, um, you know, like I always say, this 
that, you know, they were telling us for years to look like so-and-so. And now they have like the native woman, the 50-year-old woman, the, you know, like they're, they have to pivot, right? But I get to go from scratch. I get to start from scratch with what I believe in. And my life is very uh, community-based, right? So like, you know, I've mentored younger people. I always have somebody needs to live somewhere living with me. I'm like a, you know, literally like kind of a hippie at heart, you know. Uh, (laughs) So this kind of idea of, creating space has always been important to me. Like share what you like. I, I was the person, if I had zero, I'd give you half a zero, right? Just how I am. You know, no, I don't need a 21 gun salute. I suck at other things. Right. So um, the idea to kind of take what I know, accept uh, the challenge of making a new kind of formula with the sort of clean, whatever that means, kind of mm-hmm. challenge, uh, <laughs> Making, I love making makeup and I make really good makeup. This much I know about myself. And I wanted to do that again, but I wanted to create another kind of uh, environmentally friendly packaging. And I wanted to be super inclusive. Like I wanted to use my space and not make it about me again, mm-hmm. you know, make it about you. And if you see like in our tutorials and stuff, we always use, you know, uh, uh, women or men of five different skin tones. Um, I developed the product. So when I make like a purple, right, I test it on the darker skin tone first. It has to work for that skin tone before it has to work for, say, my skin tone or lighter, right? So I go from dark to light. Um, and so I, it was really important to me to make products that could be used on all skin tones. Uh, of course, we just have shadows and cheek and lip right now. We haven't gotten into the foundation stuff yet. And and to sort of bake it about the person. So, like, for example, like we have uh, Madrona Red Clock talk about um, being Native American and their friend's organization that does work on the reservation. And, and we pop up their Instagram. So it's about them. You know, this is how they would do their makeup. It, it, you know, and it's not that filtered crazy shit. It's like we we've had Hagen did one tutorial where she's uh, laughing hysterically. It starts out, and she goes, "I don't know how to do makeup," and she does it. I watched it. She did I watched it. it. Gorgeous, the colors <laughs> on her eyes. Isn't she cute. So gorgeous. I know, but she literally she did that. I mean, I'm there when we film, so I like pop in. I'm like, "You got a little smudge there, or whatever," or I I help them just with the confidence. But just that, and so Hagen just talks about making fuzzy art. Some people talk about heavy shit and some people just mm-hmm. whatever, right? Uh, you know, we just did a couple more. This young uh, um, Bangladeshi Muslim woman talks about, you know, growing up Muslim. And, you know, like it just, you know, everybody uses it's their pronouns. You know, it's real people and it's about them. It's not about me putting makeup on them. You know, it's, it's just not. So it was a combination of like obsessively wanting to make more products, uh, kind of seeing if I could really create this sort of authentic community that could exist and, and, and being creative with the packaging. I mean, you saw we have that silicone compact, like nobody's done that before, you know, nobody, uh, doesn't leach microplastics. You cannot recycle it yourself. 
I, I can recycle it. You send it back to me if you decide you hate it. Um, but it's so easy to wash and refill. It'll just last, you know, like your phone case or whatever. And, you know, nobody's done that before, the way it bends. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know I'm going to come to England. I'll bring you some. Please do. I'd love to see it. So it's not like you've got any intention of chilling out and taking a, a, a rest anytime soon. No, I'm just not like that. You know, I'm not. It's funny because I'm the most like I'm really chill. Like people are surprised by how much I get. Like they all tease me. They're like, nobody remembers everything like you do. Nobody can do as much shit. I don't understand how you do so much stuff and you're totally calm about it. Like I'm not like rabid about things, you know, very internal, I guess. No, I just, I, you know, I, I like what I do. I mean, I've had, I, I wish you could have seen the product before, but I, I am going to get it to you uh, because the, the formulas are insane. I mean, I, I'm not like a show. You could probably tell I'm not a big braggy show off kind of person. Not that there's anything wrong with no, that. No, I think stuff. you're. I you think know, you're how... an inquisitive person. I think you're an inquisitive, yeah. creative person that can't stop. Yeah, that's what I feel. Well, I you're always, driven. I always say to people, I don't need to be smarter than other people, right? Like I don't need to up one up other humans, right? I just need to be smarter than a problem. Like I love problem solving. You know, like, let me figure this out, you know? And so those challenges are interesting to me. You know, that's where I thrive, like going like, ha, I got it, you know? (laughs) It sounds like you're a little bit of a geek. Like you get a bit geeky about things like you want to find out and you want to make stuff happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's never going to go away, you know what I mean? mm -mm. No, I mean, it's just... (laughs) Yeah, it's like I'm a little bit of a mad inventor, I guess, you know, in some ways. You know, I go like I go to the lab and he says to me, and he makes a lot of big brands, right? And he says to me, Janine, you're the only person, A, who wants to come here, and B, who I let come here. And I'm in his lab, <laughs> and there's hundreds of pigments, and I'm yanking shit off the shelves and mixing it. And the, the women who work there grinding it pressing it for me and I'm like okay that did not turn out the way I thought it was gonna and then you know go back and and he'll be like you picked a pigment that's like $38 a gallon I'm like oh, okay okay of course. <laughs> I would love to see that. I would actually love to go to a cosmetics lab I need to try and get into one yeah there, I, there's got to be some who's over in L- England there's got to be something over there right there's gotta be someone but um I wanted to ask you two final questions. Mm-hmm. One is, I love how you're very chill. You're just like, yeah, I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of shit. Okay, done a lot of stuff <laughs> in your life. It, have you got a favorite moment, whether it's doing someone's makeup or discovering a new formula? Like, what can you think of? One thing that was just like the best time for you in all of these years. Gosh, it's hard to think of one thing. I have to say one of my favorite career moments, which was kind of a mind-blowing moment, was when I went to the White House with Annie Leibovitz for Mrs. Clinton. And uh, God, I hope she didn't listen to this. But uh, And I'm like, you know, when you see the White House, there's that balcony in the front, right? And I'm on that balcony with 
with Mrs. Clinton touching up her makeup, right? And and I hear the Polaroid, right? Because she shoots film. And as I'm, I'm walking away, it was like a slow motion. Mo- my mom loves Hillary Clinton. Okay, my mom's like you, whatever. And I'm walking away, and it was like a like a, a handoff, like you know when they pass the security card to get into the facility, you know. And the, one of the assistants had taken a Polaroid of me touching her up and gave it to me. I just slipped it in my back pocket and sent it to my mom. But being in the White House uh, was okay. I'm going to be honest. I was trying to find something to steal. Like I really wanted a White House, <laughs> like a towel, you know, or an ashtray or something. Something. <laughs> yeah. But I totally <laughs> chickened out. Totally chickened out. Um, so that was kind of like, that was really about being in a space where I don't necessarily need to be or belong or not that I'm blessed at, but just isn't available to me. And so that was interesting. And I had one of those moments when I went to the Cannes Film Festival with somebody too, where it was like, damn, this is cool, you know? And then I didn't have to do it again, you know? I love that. Yeah, because so you've already th- done it's, it. It's hard to... Yeah, I mean, the product piece is hard to say because it's such a process, right? So, like, I made this long wear lip that's coming out, but it was, like, 12 iterations. I mean, I'm excited that it's finally in good shape, right, or perfect. But that you've done it 12 times before you get there, so it's not like a whoa moment, you know? Yeah. It's just because yeah. it's been a part of a process. But the career moments, I've definitely had a few uh pretty excellent ones like a lot of actors like funny you know i hitched a ride on brad pitt's plane once and you know crazy my kids are always like you need to write a book with all these yes janine yes janine you do if you need a ghost writer let me know (laughs) you've got all these memories um final question when do you feel Mm. just the most authentically you like this is me what is it that you're doing where are you I am always me uh honestly like I don't uh you know I hear you know like I have imposter syndrome or this or all this shit that women you know get all the distractions of like you know we're taught to kind of fight with each other or you know, there's so much crap that we're sort of stuck in. And and once you kind of get the awareness of what all those things are, uh, there's a lot of freedom in that. Um, I feel like I literally am, you know, I'm always myself, you know. I, I, I have this quote that I love, which is, um, what an interesting prison we build ourselves from the bricks of other people's opinions, right? Which is this book called Blessed Are the Weird. <laughs> and, you know, the the key for me is like when you can find compassion for yourself and the fact that you are a flawed human being and you're going to fuck up and you're going to think fucked up shit and you're going to do, sorry, a curse thing away here. You're going to do screwed up things. Once you find and I'm talking within the range of, you know, yeah, yeah. D- daily life, right, or nor whatever normal means. You, you, 
you are so liberated because you're like, yeah, I did that. It wasn't necessarily the best thing I could have done in that moment, but that happened. And knowing how to own all those things, you, you can just be, you know, you don't have to kind of invest in this persona that you feel you, and I did have done that. You, you need to survive. Right. So I, that would be what I would say about that. And I, I think I feel happiest when, uh, when I'm with my family. I mean, my kids are hysterically funny and smart and they're tight. Like they're thick as thieves. We have these group texts that blow up all day long that are hysterical. Uh, but I'm very at peace. You know, I'm good wherever I am. You know, like I always say, like, I, I don't need everybody to like me. And guess what? I don't like everybody and it's okay. It doesn't mean that they're bad or awful or I'm awful or anything. It just means there's just not a meaning there. You know, I, I just wish that, you know, the 20 year olds, I used to hear people go, yeah, when I got older, I really got, it. I was like, Pfft. you know, and it's like, no, you're right. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I wish you could get it too. I wish you could get it younger. You'd, so much more freedom in this life and choosing the, the path and the things that are right for you no matter what anyone else thinks you should be doing i hope you enjoyed this episode as much as i did i really think it's one of my favorite conversations ever so thank you so much janine i really think janine is the definition of an innovator i think she's someone that knows to adapt how to evolve and to never stop being curious I feel that future beauty founders could learn a lot from Janine. And I really want to know what you think. Is Stila a brand that you used to wear? Let me know. Obviously, it's still around today. I've got one of my favorite blushes is by Stila. But I want to know, do you know Stila from back in the day? Or is this the first time you've ever heard of the brand? If you want even more, I highly recommend an article that I found that is by Emily Weiss, the founder of Glossier. If you know, you know that back in the day, Glossier started as a blog called Into the Gloss and Emily interviewed Janine for that. And I have to say so many of the comments on this blog say that it's the best thing they've ever read. So I want to share that with you. So that will be in the show notes for you. Let me know if you enjoyed this. You can email me beautymepodcast at gmail.com or DM me on TikTok at Sharice Kenyon or on Instagram or Twitter at Beauty Me Podcast. If you did love it, I would really appreciate it if you shared this episode. I think it's one that can bring a lot of joy and inspiration. So share it, review it on Apple Podcasts, leave a review over on Spotify. It makes a really big difference for people like you that enjoy this kind of podcast. It just helps other people find it. While you're at it, you might as well subscribe to Beauty Me wherever you listen, because that means you'll never miss another episode. Be sure to head to my TikTok, by the way, because I'm going to share some video content from the conversation with Janine. And definitely, definitely check out this week's newsletter because I'm going to share some really lovely insights with Jeffrey Fulvimari, who was the illustrator who actually created the legendary Steeler Girls. And he's never stopped working from the moment he began working with Steeler. It's such a lovely story. If you haven't signed up already, you can subscribe to my newsletter for free at beautymenotes.substat.com. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.